Support for MPB comes from the Mississippi Museum of Art in Jackson. What Became of Dr. Smith by artist Noah Satterstrom is on view now through September 22, 2024. Learn more at msmuseumart.org. This podcast is a local production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting. It's made possible in part by contributions from podcast listeners. Please consider making a contribution by going to the Donate Now tab at mpbonline.org. Thanks for your financial support. Hello and welcome to the Arts Hour. I'm Larry Morrissey with the Mississippi Arts Commission. And each week on MPB, we at this time, we come to you with a, with a conversation, that is. We come to you with a conversation with creative Mississippians. We talk to artists, musicians, performers, craftspeople. And today we're going to be talking about photography and the documentary life with Mississippi native Kate Medley. Kate, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks, Larry. I really appreciate you having me today. So we are doing this remotely, but um, I think you're going to be coming soon to talk about your new project, Book of Photography, and it's called, and I'm going to, you can correct me, this is how I'm thinking about it, is thank you, please come again. You nailed it. Okay. So thank you, please come again. And this is an investigation, a documentation of service station culture throughout the uh, greater South. Really wonderful new book that's just come out. Tell people, just give people kind of a a quick overview and we'll kind of dive into it a little more deeply as we move on. Sure. Um, So the book, Thank You, Please Come Again, is, as you said, um, it's a book of documentary photographs from across the South. Um, It takes a look at this region um, through a lens of gas stations, uh, the food, the culture, the people, the people who the people who keep these businesses in operation, um, the people who patron them, and what these spaces mean for both rural and urban communities um, across the South. So it, um, it has photographs that span about 10 years of my work. A lot of it, a lot of this project started in Mississippi. And as you mentioned, that that's where I grew up. And really that, that place, this place, laid the foundation for my interest in this topic to begin with. Tell us a little bit about yourself. I mean, maybe a little bit about the, the, the let, let, let's step back and talk about you as a photographer and kind of how you first got introduced to that as a, as an art form and, and how you've kind of, how you kind of moved through that professionally. Sure. Um, you know, I first became interested in photography um, as a kid growing up in Jackson, um, admiring the photographers of my home state, the Eudora Welties, the Bernie Imes. Um, I took a class from Kay Holloway at Millsaps College when I was in high school. She both exposed me to a lot of photographers and taught me the basics of how to work with cameras. She was teaching a color slide class at the time and the only rules for the work that you did in her class were no cemeteries and no cats. <laughs> and I took my own interest, I guess I discovered my interest in that class um, to be the people of the region. So I remember going to photograph the farmer's market on, is it Woodrow Wilson? Yeah, the old in one. Jackson. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The vendors there, the tailgates, the the customers, the produce itself. Um, but really, I was interested in the people. And um, I remember my tra- traveling around 
the rural areas out the rural areas outside of Jackson um, with my dad, and he told me he was driving and he said, "Just tell me when to stop." And a lot of those photographs were of people, um, you know, people doing their Sunday afternoon chores, hanging clothes on the line, sitting on the porch. Again, I think a lot of that early work um, was inspired by what I had seen of Eudora Welty, what what the work that that Mrs. Welty did in the 40s, I think. And you were still doing like um, like actual film camera stuff or was this digital? Oh yeah, actual film camera stuff, actual slide film. So I, I took that that little that I took that foundation of knowledge and um, ended up studying photojournalism in in college and working for newspapers as a photographer right out of college. And it sounds like with your with your interest, kind of your beginning interest in the old farmers market, it almost really harkens to the, a lot of the subject matter you're doing in this book. I mean, it, from the very beginning, you were looking at native foods, native people, you know, like kind of that everyday person type of um, that wealthy, I guess, you know, specialized in. Is that does that carry through your work or you think? Yeah, it really does. Um, I think what I think the commonality in all of my work is sort of what is the pace of the day? What is driving this community? What are the priorities of this community? The values of this place? What are the the shifting politics of this place? Who is new here? Who holds power here? Um, you know, asking these questions of communities across the South, and and that is very much a part of the part of the work that's in this book. Um, it is me going into these spaces, often in rural areas, and taking in what's what's transpiring in front of me. You know, who's behind the grill, who's behind the register, who is having two o'clock coffee on a Tuesday afternoon, what's on the community bulletin board, what are people talking about? These are all of the clues that I use to teach myself about where I am and what's important there. You're listening to the Arts Hour. Our guest today is Kate Medley, and we're talking about her work as a photojournalist, photo documentarian, and her new book, Thank You, Please Come Again. And it's a documentation of service station culture and life throughout the South. I know you went to uh, the Center for Study of Southern Culture at uh, University of Mississippi as well, correct? Is that, was there a, did you go out in kind of the world for a bit as a photographer before going there or? I did. Um, I worked for several different daily newspapers. Um, I went to college in Montana and had my first newspaper job out there. Um, and I came back to the South by way of daily papers in Chattanooga and Charlotte um, and did some work as well in Jackson before enrolling in a master's program in Southern Studies, as you mentioned, at the University of Mississippi. And, and being in that space at the Center for the Study of Southern Culture, it helped me both hone my documentary skills, both in photography and beyond. But it also exposed me to a lot of new-to-me contexts for how to look at this region. I never could have imagined before going there that one could study the South through a lens of food, for example. And yet I found a lot of my work in those two years focused on the foodways of the South and how to chart both change and shifts in population and priorities by way of what people are eating, what people are talking about while they're eating, what's transpiring at that table. So you'll see a lot of the photographs in this book, they are not food food photographs. 
but they are many of them are photographs of the culture of food and eating and sharing space and community at a table. And food is kind of a, a bigger part of your just larger body of work outside of the service station project as well, right? That's true. I I spent um, about 10 years working as a photographer for Whole Foods, the grocery store, doing documentary work about the farmers and producers and fisher people and ranchers who who grow the food that ends up in the grocery store. So I do have deep, deep background in both. I have deep background in photographing, again, not not food itself, but the people behind the food, which again is something that um, this book is not a, not a book of, not not specifically a book about food. It is a book about place through a lens of service stations and the food that they serve. Right. That said, the, there's a there's a bami sandwich that looks very good that's in this in this book. So, you you you, you captured some very delicious looking food uh, in as as part of the overall context of this culture. Good, Larry. Yeah. I'm glad that that bami called out to you because it certainly calls out to me on a regular basis, yeah. even though it's about 1,500 miles away from me. Um, <laughs> I think you're speaking of the Bon Me from Bon Me Boys, um, right outside of New Orleans. It's it's in an old Texaco um, in Metairie, and it is one of the best bites I ate on this journey for sure. Yeah, and one more like just kind of interesting item on your bio that I saw is that, um, and maybe this is kind of related to kind of how things are changing in terms of um, things are changing in terms of technology and is that you are a certified drone operator. Is that correct? That's true. Um, yes. So I, my day-to-day work is as a photojournalist. Um, I mostly cover national news that's happening here in North Carolina, where I live now. And a drone is one of the tools in my, in my chest um, when I am trying to get a different perspective on a scene that's happening. I get that sucker into the air and try not to crash it. How much... Like how long does it, I'm just curious about how the, the process and learning, do you go to drone school or how does that work? And, and I guess you have to take a test or something to become a certified drone operator. You do have to take a test. Um, it is a test that is much harder than I anticipated. Um, but yeah, you, some people go to drone school. Some people just sort of study on their own, which is what I did. And you learn all sorts of things about weather patterns, um, and FAA regulations so that you ideally don't ever crash your drone. So yeah, I did get certified and I have not crashed my drone yet. I have come very close. Are you, so I saw you have a kind of photography website and a more of a documentary film web or moving image website. So is, do you see, is the drone kind of go back and forth between your work as a journalist and as a work as more of a documentary? person is it does it have applications on, on both areas it does have applications um yes in both still photography and documentary film um most of the work that i'm doing right now is still photography for journalism i, I still dabble a little bit in in more commercial video most of the work that i'm doing right now is more still photography for journalism This is Larry Morrissey. Thanks for listening to the podcast version of the Mississippi Arts Hour. The show is broadcast on MPB's statewide radio network on Sundays at 5 p.m. For access to all our past shows, please subscribe to the Arts Hour on your favorite podcasting app. 
Deep South Dining is the show all about the culture of Southern flavor. From fried chicken and collard greens to shrimp and grits and a glass of sweet tea. Subscribe now to the podcast using any podcast app or download our MPB public media app. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. We're back on the Arts Hour. I'm Larry Morrissey, and our guest today is Kate Medley, and we're here to talk about her new book, Thank You, Please Come Again. And this book documents service station culture throughout the South. So we've heard about your kind of, in the last segment, about your background as a, you know, um, developing as a, as a photojournalist and a, a, a documentarian. So how, what's the, you know, I, we, I, I get a sense of what the origins, but are there, tell us about kind of the, the very beginning origins of this as a, as a unique project from your other work. Sure. Um, so this project became of personal interest, honestly, um, before I was a photographer, as just as a kid growing up in Mississippi, where as I'm sure many of your listeners understand the cultural dynamic of of gas stations being a great place to go get food, a great place to hang out. This is not true all over the world, all over the country. Um, I think it's just an, an interesting and unique component of our culture in Mississippi. I remember living in Oxford back in 2005. The only place to get Indian food in town was in the back of a BP. Um, the gas station was owned by an, an Indian couple and the husband ran the register and the wife would cook the food of her youth at home and bring it into the gas station in Tupperware containers where they would sell it from a refrigerator behind the counter. And that was the go-to Indian spot in town. And so it was sort of that spirit of ingenuity and entrepreneurial spirit that really drove my thinking about this as a way of studying the region. So about 10 years ago, I spent a week in the Mississippi Delta exploring this topic. I had a couple ideas of where I wanted to go. <clears throat> and then I put out one line on social media that said, where's the best gas station food in Mississippi? And to my surprise, I was flooded with responses. And they were very specific and very opinionated. You know, it was not just double quick has the best fried chicken. It was double quick number 48 on, I'm making this up, on Main Street in Greenwood has the best fried chicken as long as Sally is cooking that day. And so again, as these stories came in, as these recommendations came in, I had this hand-drawn map where I was trying to chart it all out and keep up with it. But the enthusiasm with which people responded to that initial query drove my own enthusiasm and continues to um, 10 years into this project. So what were eventually, as you as the project grew, and I mean, it started in Mississippi, but it's, it's pan-Southern. It crosses most of the Southern, you know, most of many of the states in the South. What gradually became kind of your parameters geographically to it and maybe... Uh, also like the types of places specifically that you were most interested in? Sure. Um, so the book covers 11 states. These are mostly the, the, the states of the deep South. And my parameters, the parameter I landed on, um, or the criteria that I landed on for the book was places that either sell gas or did at one time. 
so it quickly became clear to me that a lot of gas stations, especially in more economically depressed areas, did not have the means to continue selling gas. And um, I learned that, or one of the things that I greatly admire about the people who run these spaces is that they are very resourceful and, you know, they figure out a way to make the business work. They figure out a way to serve the needs of the community. And so for a lot of these places, especially in the Mississippi Delta, I found they no longer serve gas. They've, they've reorganized their business to instead focus on food and beverage. And for many of them, they've become the only restaurant in town. Um, but anyway, so back to my criteria, uh, it is, that's it. It's places that either sell gas or did at one time. And beyond that, Larry, it's really just a guttural feeling when you're driving down the road and you pass a place where you're like, damn, it looks interesting. Slam on the brakes, turn around, go inside to check it out. And what am I looking for? I'm really looking for signs of the human touch. Um, I want, you know, if there's a hand painted sign out front, um, if there are people hanging out in the front of it, I want that place to somehow show me, tell me something about the community. Um, so I'm looking for that sort of human imperfection in, in the business, that sort of visual cue, um, that something interesting might be happening inside. And, you know, I have a pretty good batting average at this point, but there are certainly some places that, you know, I go in, I walk in and it, it doesn't necessarily like serve the goals that I have in mind. So I buy a cup of coffee, buy a bottle of water, whatever it takes and, you know, hit the road. But, um, but a lot of these places you walk in and, you know, you talk to the person behind the counter and you sort of survey what's going on in that small town that day. And you decide maybe I'll stick around for a while and see what happens. You're listening to the Arts Hour. I'm Larry Morrissey, and our guest today is Kate Medley. And we're talking about her. She's a photo documentarian, photojournalist, and she has a brand new book out of photography called Thank You, Please Come Again, about service station life and culture in the South. I guess one thing I wanted to, that you point out in your introduction is that although the uh, plate, you know, although Bucky's has a good sandwich that everybody keeps talking about, the big giant places on the side of the interstate are you know, not in this book. This is the locally owned, you know, mom and pop type of places. That's true. Um, yes, they are not all independently owned, but for the most part, you know, they are independently run. Again, I, some of these places, um, they, even ones that are serving great food, you know, you can tell that there's like a marketing department at world headquarters that's designed the space and designed the menu. And, Really what I'm looking for is if there's a marketing department, it is that person who's running the cash register. That's the beginning and end. Again, I, I want to learn something about where I am by way of this place. And for me, I found the places that are more independently run where you can see signs of the community. That That's what I was looking for. Yeah. Well, for people listening, you know, while there's – many states represented in the book. Mississippi is high, very well represented, I'll say. I'll let everybody know. Your favorite may not be in there, but there's plenty of them, so no worries. But let's let's pick out a few. Before we kind of scope out to the whole South, let's pick out a few Mississippi institutions that are places that 
that stand out. Um, maybe I'll just throw out Betty's Place in Indianola first. Oh, I love Betty's Place. <sighs> Betty Campbell and her brother, Otha Campbell, run Betty's Place in Indianola. It's right there on Main Street. Betty got her start cooking for B.B. King. And in 2008, she, with the help of her family, decided to open Betty's Place at an old gas station. Just the kindest people. And in talking to them, you know, there's a there's an interesting and hard history of African-American travel by way of gas stations in, you know, the 60s, 70s, 80s, and to a large extent even today. But I found so interesting listening to Betty talk about this restaurant, this building that she now owns Back in the 60s, it was owned by a white man. It was a gas station owned by a white man on Main Street in Indianola, where Betty, as a black woman, never would have gone. She never would have set foot in that door. And and today, not only does she own it, but she makes a very good living. And she welcomes people, white, black, internationally from all over the world. I mean, she has people writing on the walls of her restaurant, on the interior walls of her restaurant with Sharpies. They are tributes both to her food and the international clientele that it serves. You know, it on her walls, you'll read favorite ribs in the whole world from some guy visiting from Germany. And so to take, for that family, to take what is such a wretched history and turn that space into a community that welcomes people of all backgrounds from all over the world. It's really just the most inspiring story, I think. Um, and the food is, is excellent off the charts. Um, highly recommend Betty's Place in Indianola. No longer serving gas, but serving incredible food. One that, um, that I, that I don't know personally, but that I've heard, I've best like heard tell of it, as I would say, is the, um, oh, the Four Corners Chevron in Oxford is a very legendary one for people at the university in that. And I'm sure people will be excited to hear about that one. Tell me about the distinctiveness of that place. Well, Larry, if you haven't visited it yet, I can recommend that the best time to go to the Four Corners Chevron is at about 1 a.m. on a Friday night, Saturday morning. Um, that's when they have a line out the door to get chicken on a stick. And yes, I was a student in Oxford back in the day. So that's when I first came to know about it. And they are they continue to thrive. Um, the guy who runs it, he was telling me about how, you know, when summer's in session, they are the busiest gas station in Oxford, hands down. And when school lets out, they're totally empty. So, you know, it's, it's a very... Um, collegiate college driven um when the bars let out type type space but but when i photographed it you know it was middle of the day lunch hour and like many of these gas stations you know they're servicing the the workers the travelers people passing through and they do a good lunch crowd as well i mean there's so many others that are that are in the book but maybe what what's another one or two that that jump out in your memory in terms of the stories that you collected there in mississippi that is yeah um well, before I started this project in full, um, back in 2007, the New York Times sent me to East End Grocery and Gas in Cleveland to document the phenomena of the Kool-Aid pickle. 
And um, I was working with John T. Edge on this piece. He was the writer and I was the photographer. Um, I'll never forget part of the assignment that day. So I was to photograph the space, the people, the cool, the cool And I was also instructed, I can't remember the details of how this transpired, but I was instructed to bring some Kool-Aid pickles back to Oxford, which were then ferried to Memphis and FedEx to New York to the foods to be photographed in the New York Times food studio that ran on the front of the food section. Again, back in 2007. Um, I'm not sure if East End Grocery is still there, but I hope it is. Uh, another that comes to mind is a place called Pops Tire and Lube in Banner, Mississippi. It's up on Highway 9. It doubled as a post office in the 80s. In the 90s, it, it, would it would transform itself into a dance hall at night. The piano is still in the back, sort of amidst the, the tires, because now it's a tire shop. So again, you see through this place, um, these, these, these businesses just sort of metamorphosize themselves to serve the needs of that place as the needs change. So now the owner um, has built, he still runs the tire shop and he's built a new Pops 76 gas station across the street where, you know, you see a more modern aesthetic with like a corrugated steel exterior. And then inside you have this big grill restaurant. You see these big round tables with lazy Susans in the middle. And as I was talking to the owner, he points to this group of older gentlemen having, having coffee that afternoon. And he said, you see that guy over there after his wife died last year, he eats at this gas station for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Every piece of food that goes into his body comes from this gas station. And Larry, that to me, it was both profound and somewhat of a common refrain for these places, especially in rural areas. They are the lifelines of these communities. This is Larry Morrissey. Thanks for listening to the podcast version of the Mississippi Arts Hour. The show is broadcast on MPB's statewide radio network on Sundays at 5 p.m. For access to all our past shows, please subscribe to the Arts Hour on your favorite podcasting app. at your vehicle, think of MPB. Need to get rid of your ride? Donate it by calling 877-MPB-4-CAR. Need to have some work done on your truck? Listen to AutoCorrect Thursdays at 10, Saturdays at 11. An MPB license plate reminds you that MPB is with you wherever you go. Go to your county office and ask for an MPB car tag. MPB and cars, better together. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. We're back on the Arts Hour. I'm Larry Morrissey, and our guest today is Kate Medley, and we're talking about her brand new book of photography. Thank you. Please come again. Earlier in the first segment, we you, we mentioned the Bon Me sandwich from um, suburban New Orleans. One theme that comes out multiple times in the book is these spaces as uh, stories of, of, of immigrants, kind of the first toehold into getting into business for themselves and working for themselves in this country and some really compelling stories. And maybe you could just pick out one of the many to tell us about. 
Yeah, I'd be happy to. Um, so when I first started out on this journey, I was hoping to to be able to to chart emerging foodways in the South by way of gas station restaurants. And I found that that to some extent I could. Um, I mean, probably all of your listeners have visited gas station restaurants, many of which are in the book, that, you know, they their bread and butter is chicken tenders and potato logs. And, you know, especially in rural areas like the Mississippi Delta and many parts of Mississippi, you know, these businesses, they can't afford not to serve that menu. But I found, especially when you move into more urban areas of the South, that you could, you, you do start to see more immigrant foodways. You know, there's a long tradition of immigrant populations entering the U.S. workforce by way of food businesses. We see halal food trucks in New York, taco stands out on the West Coast, to some extent Chinese corner stores in the Mississippi Delta. And in the South, I would argue that gas stations fit squarely into this food economy. I think the statistic was that 60% of gas stations are immigrant-owned. So it it was a big focus of this project for me. I, I wanted to see what I could find out there. A few of the real heroes of my project, I feel like. One is in Hammond, Louisiana, again, right outside of New Orleans, their um, square at the intersection of I-55 and I-12, there's a place called Punjabi Daba. It is in a gas station called Icebox. And it is no coincidence that they decided to locate Punjabi Daba at this major artery of interstate travel. So to my understanding, there is a, a heavy recruitment effort in this part of India by the U.S. trucking industry. And because of that, we increasingly have a lot of truck drivers of Indian descent from this northern India region, Indian region of Punjab. And so we see increasingly these, these dabas that are opening on interstate exits across America to service these truck drivers. And it is extraordinary food. Um, you walk into Punjabi Daba in Hammond, Louisiana, and the owners have, for the most part, ripped out the traditional convenience store offerings. And instead, you find a white tablecloth dining experience. And on any given weekday, they are packed. They are packing in the lunch crowd. Um, so much so that the owners shared with me that they are going to build a restaurant outside of the gas station and transform the gas station interior back into a convenience store because he told me, quote, rich people don't eat at gas stations. So take that for what, for what you will. Highly recommend you get to Hammond before they, before they close that. We also mentioned Bon Me Boys. That is in Metairie, Louisiana. Um, run by Peter Wynn. He comes from a Vietnamese family, but he grew up in the New Orleans area. He taught himself to cook by watching the Food Network after high school. And his father ran gas stations. So when the time came for young Peter to open his own business, he decided that you know low barrier to entry in the back of the Texaco would do just fine. And he has gained a national following for these incredible banh mi sandwiches that fuse the Vietnamese traditions of his family with, you know, wider known 
wider known Louisiana culinary traditions. Um, so you get, you know, a, a Cajun garlic fried shrimp bon me, for instance, well worth the drive south for that. So, you know, when you, when you travel around New Orleans, Atlanta, some of the bigger cities in the south, you definitely see a lot of international influence, both in who's running the gas stations and who's running the food inside of them. Yeah, those are some really compelling stories. You, you started touching on it in the last segment is just that a lot of these, especially uh, these places in, in highly, very rural areas are, are some of the last kind of commercial spaces and community spaces for people to to access. And um, I don't remember the specific place, but one of the stories that you tell is about a guy who I guess was a farm owner who either kept or opened up a store basically so his farmhands could have a place to eat because there wasn't like anywhere within driving distance for them to eat. So you're talking about Old Town Grocery and Tackle in Elaine, Arkansas. Um, And again, this is a space where we see they've let the pumps run dry. It's very expensive to install and maintain gas pumps. And that wasn't their priority. This farmer's priority, as you said, was to feed the farmhands. And so the interior of this gas station is a fairly bare bones grocery situation. And then in the back, um, they have a grill. And the woman who is the manager of the store, she's also the cashier and she's also the cook. So they do a plate lunch each day for the farmhands, which is also open to the public. She told me that day I was visiting that they were serving the plate lunch for dinner because it was planting season and they'd be planting till late, till late at night. And then she handed me her business card, which read, we like our tea, like we like our farmers, sweet and strong. That's great. Um, yeah, Elaine, Arkansas for you. You're listening to the Arts Hour. I'm Larry Morrissey and our guest today is Kate Medley. And we're talking about her book, Thank You, Please Come Again. And it's a photo documentation and investigation of service station culture and life uh, throughout the South. So I was thinking about you as someone who documents in terms of walking into a space like this um, and, and not, you know, a lot of these spaces are everybody knows the people that are coming in and out. So you're an obvious outsider. How do you how do you negotiate that in order to kind of building relationships on the fly to start taking photographs? Because you can't just kind of walk in and start shooting people because they're like, who are you and what are you doing? That's very true. So I've been working as a photojournalist for about 20 years, and and it's a part of every job that I do. I Again, I typically cover national news here in North Carolina and across the South. And a lot of what that entails is going into a space that's not your own, oftentimes in a community that's not your own, and building trust with people asking of them that they share their story, that they share their life experience with you. And remarkably, a lot of people are game for that. Remarkably, a lot of people share their time and their story and their home and their place of business. Um, a lot of people welcome me in to do that work. And for that reason, this book is, is you know, it is a true testament of and celebration of the people who are in it. Because to your point, Larry, I mean, in all of these locations, it's interesting. I, 
I experimented with calling a few of them ahead of time and getting buy-in before showing up. And I found that that didn't work. You know, it's, it's a, from the outset, especially if you're a gas station owner, you know, these people are not, for the most part, sitting behind a computer, reading email, reading the news all day. They're running a business. They're interfacing with their customers. And so to have a stranger call and try to set up an appointment to work on this weird project, you know, a lot of them were just kind of like, eh, you know, I'm going to go back to checking this customer out. And so I found that I had more success when I just show up, which, you know, in and of itself shows, maybe shows a type of commitment. And, and also a lot of, a lot of these places I didn't know in advance that I wanted to visit. I was, I was literally just passing by and, and decided I wanted to visit. So, you know, you pull over, you open the little glass door and the bell jingles and you kind of read the room. You read the room as to whether it's a good fit for the project. You know, does this space tell us something about the South? Tell us about where we are. And if it does, you know, I would have a conversation with the person behind the register. If I was lucky, that person was also the owner or related to the owner. And I would explain the project. Oftentimes, you know, they were, they would kind of look at me like I was crazy and say, you know, why is this, why is this interesting to anyone? I'm literally just checking people out at a gas station. But for the most part, they would welcome me and, you know, allow me to hang around for a couple hours and make some photographs for which I'm eternally grateful. And so how does that work in terms of, I'm, I'm thinking about a specific photo, like, especially in spaces where there's lots of people moving in and out. And there was that really uh, interesting looking place. It's in Florida called like, I'm going to say it wrong, like Chiapanis or Chipanis or something. And it's like, oh, and it yeah, looks like Chipanis. it's almost like a bar. There's people sitting and drinking beers. It's totally a bar. There's a lot going on there. Yeah. It's a, it's a very fun bar in Melrose, Florida. Harry Cruz used to hang out at that bar. He used to ride his bicycle there and drink beer. And it's a, it's a very regular clientele of people who come after work and drink beer. You can still get gas there. You can also borrow books from the lending library. You know, you can buy your live bait there. You can probably buy ammunition there. You could definitely buy groceries there. But I think their biggest business is giving people a space to hang out. The, let's see, Chiapanis. It's been a while since I was at Chiapanis. What was your original question? Well, so so like it, like as an example, that space you've got a lot of people in and out. Are you kind of like pushed back to the the edge of the you know? Are you pushed back to the with your back against the thing, just kind of a quiet observer? Are you kind of mixing it up with people talking and visiting, or how do you how do you occupy the space as you're doing your work? My goal is almost always to be a quiet observer. Um, at a place like Chiapani's that, you know, functions largely as a bar after work, you know, to some extent they're, they're kind of trying to rope me into the trouble, but my goal in all of these spaces is to create a piece of documentary evidence of what it's like there in that space in that time. And I don't, I do my best not to affect that by my presence or any contributions. You know, there's this old adage in journalism of being a fly on the wall. And I, I don't totally believe in that. I think that, you know, 
one's presence, especially as an outsider in a community, affects the scene. I'm not naive to that. Um, but I try to be as, as quiet and observant of the scene as possible. Yeah. So you've been documenting these places for like over over a decade now? Many, to, yeah, for about 10 years. About 10 years. So have you seen any kind of like changes kind of coming in, like <laughs> innovations or, or like, like changes in terms of how people are using these spaces since you started this? The only constant is, is change, especially in this arena. Um, I, in the 10 years that I've been working on this project, I've tried to revisit a number of these places several times just to document that change. And I never know what it'll look like till I get there. Um, you know, sometimes the ownership has changed. Sometimes the entire concept has changed. Sometimes I can't even find the building because it's no longer there. So if I should mention this book, Larry is not a guidebook. Do not try to retrace my steps because you will, you, you and I both will get lost. I was revisiting a gas station the other day that is in the book. It's called Cozart's Fruit and Produce. It's here in Durham, North Carolina. And I first visited it back in 2013 when I drove out to find it last week. I drove down this road back and forth a couple times. And finally, I had to look up the old address for it because now it I never would have recognized it. It's now, it was a pro, produce stand gas station. And now it is a purple building that's called Deja Vu Sports Bar. And maybe, you know, that's what the community needed more than they needed Cozart's Fruit and Produce. Yeah. Who knows? But these places, you know, they are very liminal in their nature. They're constantly evolving to serve the needs of that community and that business, that entrepreneurial endeavor. Another big and another kind of like thing that's part of the book in terms of documentation, when, when you talk about temporariness is all the like hand lettering, handmade signs. That is something that I've, as someone just casually documenting in Mississippi, it's like, if you see something, you better take a picture of it because it's not going to be, you know, it's going to change by the time you come back. Talk about your, your interest in that and, and kind of maybe a little about maybe some different themes you see throughout, you know, seeing it across the South, that as a tradition within this world. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm right there with you on the hand-painted signage. To me, that is like one of the most amazing art forms and certainly a dying one. So whenever I'm met with hand-painted signage, I'm, I'm pulling over to see what more I can find. But I think that's also points back to something we talked about previously in that, you know, these, these entrepreneurs are so resourceful. These, these businesses, they're determined to survive. And in order to do that, you know, they, they have to remain flexible. And as new populations are moving to town, as new generations become their clients, they, they shift. 50 years ago, a lot of these gas stations, they were also make full service mechanics. And how many of those do we see these days? You know, now we see shop owners prioritizing food and convenience store offerings. Um, when I talked with the National Association of Convenience Stores and told them I was working on a project to document gas stations, it was as if I had used a swear word when I said gas stations. They said, oh, we don't, we don't use the G word. We talk instead about C stores. You know, they are 
as an organization moving away from this idea that gas is the centerpiece um, and, and more, it's all about the food and beverage offerings. Well, gas is the thing that gets you in the door, but they don't make any money on it. So it's, it's all the the food and beverage is where they actually make their money. Yeah. Right. And then if you start talking about electric cars, then you really get shown the door. Uh Oh, (laughs) yeah. (laughs) Well, Kate, I, I really appreciate your time today. Um, for people who want to learn more about the book and about your work, where should we send them? Thank you so much for having me on the show today, Larry. Uh, yes, the book comes out. Well, I shouldn't say that because this will come out before the book comes out. The book is out now. You can buy it um, at thebittersoutherner.com. Bitter Southerner is my publisher. Um, and you can also buy it at independent bookstores across Mississippi. Thanks for listening to this MPB Think Radio podcast. MPB depends on support from listeners, so if you can, please contribute today at mpbonline.org. Hi, I'm Dr. Jimmy Stewart, Professor of Internal Medicine and Pediatrics at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. On the original Southern Remedy, we answer questions about all aspects of your health and share some of the latest medical information in the news. You can listen to the show on Wednesdays at 11 on MPB Think Radio, or you can subscribe to the podcast by searching for Southern Remedy on your preferred podcasting app.